And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come into the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But... Those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. <gasps> Anybody remember doing that when they were a kid? In my uh, churches that I grew up in, I, my parents became Christians when, when I, uh, my mother was pregnant with me and uh, they went to a Billy Graham crusade in London from Cardiff, keener on the fact that they were going to get to visit London for free, they'd never been, than they were on the fact that they were going to hear some guy preach, but you know, what could possibly go wrong? Well, it all went wrong because they became Christians and then joined their local church. And in that church, the Baptist church, they were very keen on this Bible verse. It's often been called the gospel in a nutshell. And if you grew up in those kinds of churches, um, you were taught to repeat it over and over. And so you could do it in one breath. But of course, nothing is that simple. But it is a really interesting verse for God so loved the world. And I thought maybe if we picked it apart a bit, it would help us understand what the heck is going on about being condemned, being not in the light, being in the light, all of that kind of convoluted language that the Gospel of John absolutely loves. For God so loved the world. It's better translated because it, it can, it's better translated as this is how God loved the world. And many of the modern translations do that. Otherwise you have something that doesn't make sense in John's world, that God loved the world so much. I mean, I love this person, but I really love this person. That doesn't make any sense in John's world. It's because there's no degrees of love. Love is God in action. God in action is love. It, there's not any degrees at all. And the epistles of John, which may or may not have been written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of John, Probably not, but certainly within the same community, the same kind of language. The first epistle of John makes it very clear when it says God is love. Full stop. So this is the way God loved the world. And this is the way God loved the world. 
which doesn't seem to us to be remarkable because we talked about this forever in the church. But this is spoken into a world where the world was divided up into regional gods. The idea that we have a God and you have a God and and maybe they interact and and hopefully they treat us well, but they're not the same. Except, of course, the Jews and the Zoroastrians who developed many, many centuries before the idea that there was one God or at least there was a chief God. The Old Testament seems to have both. In some places of the Old Testament, uh, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, God is the only God, all the others are false gods. In others, God is the chief God and all the others are lesser gods. But this idea that there's only one God in all the world, so when this Gospel says God loved the world, we can skip over that, but we probably shouldn't. We shouldn't pick, uh, skip over it particularly because this text that we're getting is part of a longer conversation or discourse with Nicodemus, who himself was a leader of the Jewish people, part of the, the ruling council of, the, of, of the, the, the temple. And the part of the job of being in the ruling council was to decide who was in and who was out, of course. What kind of a structure can you have if there's no rules about who's a part of it and who's not? And we get a sense from the history and from what's written in John's Gospel that the people in John's community have either been driven out or have left that kind of wider temple community. So the question of God loving the whole world is really crucial. Because they lived in a world where people were divided up into who was worthy and who wasn't. Who really deserved help and who didn't. Who was God's favourite and who wasn't. Lucky, of course, we live in a world completely different to that, don't we? Everybody is available to be helped and cared for. Well, sort of, some of the time. Because it's no different. We just don't use the terms that they used. Um, you notice that for, for in, to be a Roman citizen, we pick up in the book of Acts. Paul is seen as a Roman citizen in the book of Acts, and that confers all kinds of privilege. So it's going on and on. So God loving the world is in itself an extraordinary idea. And then it says, for God loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is how God loves the world. What does love, God is love, what does love look like in action? God gives his son. Love is an intimate and costly giving of the self. We have to be careful how we use the word because I don't love most of you. Not that you're not wonderful people, but I can't. I mean, I could barely love, in the way that this is talking about, the tiny number of people who are my intimates, my partner, my family. I do my best, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not, but but I can't love you. I mean, some of you, maybe, if we get to know each other really well and we start to rely on each other and start to give to each other, that will happen, and some of us... All of us need that and some of us don't have it and when you don't, it's terrible life to lead when there aren't people that love you and that you love them. But it's it's a costly, intimate thing that this is being talked about. It's not liking, it's not caring for people, it's not supporting people. All of those things are important and hopefully we do that in this community and I know many of you do that really, really well here with each other and people beyond here and we do it here in the Spire community, in the cafe and in goodies and all of that. 
But this is talking about something quite deep and intimate. What does love look like? God giving of God's self. The energy and and uh, origin of the universe, which is God, according to the Gospel of John, that is present with us. That's what being, what love looks like. And God says, uh, and the text says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And now remember, sonship operated quite differently in the ancient world than it does today. If a son arrives somewhere, that son is the father in actuality. He has all the power, authority, uh, and when he speaks, he speaks for the father, and when he acts, he acts for the father. There's no contradiction. That's, at least when it's working well, that's how the ancient idea was. So when Jesus is called God's son, that is inferring a, a deep, intimate connection. And in fact, the Gospel of John begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's deeply interconnected. So when love is, God loves the world this way, by sending his only son, it's essentially saying God loves the world this way by being intimately present in the world all the time. I didn't know that when I was learning to repeat this verse all in one breath. So you could rewrite the first part of the, this verse. This is how God's love continues to work in the world. One of the things we miss in interpreting the Bible is that there are often words in Greek that don't just mean once, they mean ongoing all the time, always has been, always will be. So it's not God loved the world, boom, here's the sun, uh, that was then, 2,000 years ago, now we're in it. No, it's God is continually loving, intimately involved in the world. God gives the very energy and essence of God's self into the world. That's what's going on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. First of all, in Gospel of John, it's always about everyone. Everyone is involved. Next week, we'll hear more about the everyone, the insistence in the Gospel of John by Jesus that everyone is involved. Everyone, everywhere. Everywhere in the whole cosmos. And we know that believing is much better understood as trust in our language, because we, we equate believing with, with a kind of mental um, decision about something. I believe this and I don't believe that. Whereas uh, what Jesus and John's gospel is talking about is being in trust relationship. So that God loved the world that everyone who trusts in him may not perish. And it's not trust as in I made a decision to follow Jesus, which is the language that my mum and dad picked up when they first became Christians. And it was good language, but it had a problem that it's sort of a decision back then. And then they would get people to come to the church and give their, what they called their testimony. So you would get up and you'd say, well, what happened to you? How I used to not be a Christian, and then these events happened, and, and then I became one. But it was all back there, and you know, it's been good and bad since, but it, as if there was sort of a set of decisions that can be made, and that's all. Now, of course, those decisions were good and real, but the Gospel of John is much more interested in the trusting every moment now. You can't have trusted somebody, and now you don't. 
It's not still trust. You know, it's trusting all the time. So it's an ongoing living experience of trust. So God so loved the world that he gave his son so that everyone who trusts all the time in an ongoing way will not perish. I love the word perish. My mother used to get perishing cold. No one uses that language anymore, but she would be perishing. My mother never, my mother was never chilly or hot. She was always either perishingly cold or boiling hot. She was a woman of extremes. But when something perishes, I always think of, of rubber, how it gets hard and cracked. And how there are ways you can stop rubber from getting hard and cracked. And that's, you know, you keep it clean and you massage uh, special um, stuff into it to keep it soft and supple. So I like the idea that um, everyone who's ongoing trusting is, is sort of, if you like, marinating in the trust of God. Doesn't perish, but stays soft and supple and like most of us would like to be a bit more than we are. This is, this is not transactional. It's not, if you do this, God will do this. It's, this is the way of the world. All you need to do is be open to it and aware of it. It's an ongoing love relationship, an ongoing trust relationship. And we often think about that from just our side. I've got to really work hard to believe. I've got to do. But we forget the other side of it, that God is trusting us. We're living in God's trust just as we are trusting God, God is trusting us. It's quite an enlightening and open and, and exciting way of thinking about what it means. And if you do that, you will experience eternal life. And it simply means life without beginning or end. And when you think about it, the life that we want to live, at least this is the way I would like to be living, is a life where I'm not carrying the weight of the past, nor am I concerned about the problems that are likely to arise in the future, whether that's when I leave here this morning or in 10 years' time. But very much like the way children live, and you know Jesus in all the Gospels is very keen on saying, look at children if you want to get some idea of how to be a faithful person and a trusting person. Children live in an imminent now, particularly small children. They're not thinking. Um, my, I was at a, my uh, daughter-in-law's 40th birthday party last night and my granddaughter ran up to me at one point and said, Baby, I'm freezing. And I said, Did you bring a jacket? Mummy will have one. And of course she did. But why didn't she bring a jacket? What sensible person doesn't go out early in the evening, especially last night, and not bring a jacket? Well, a kid, because a kid is living in the intimate moment of now because there's a trusting in, in the environment that things will be okay. Now, I can't live like that, but I can understand the essence of that. And I think that's something of what Jesus is talking about. There's other bits in the Gospel of John that kind of lead to this, and you can look at them for yourself. The idea that it's an... Intimately living in the imminent now, the moment of now. And that doesn't have a beginning or end. It's a trusting moment right here. And if all of that could be true, then when we get to the verse that says straight after, those who believe in him 
are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We could read it as those who are living in the eternal trusting and being trusted are not living under the threat of wrong living or under the threat of being accused of not fitting in or doing the right thing, of not living with the fear of judgment of others for what I'm wearing or not wearing, what my education has been or isn't, how much money I'm earning or not, the kind of house I live in or not. But those who are not living in this eternal trusting and being trusted are already, Jesus says, living a kind of accused, judged, out-of-sync life, out-of-sync with themselves and with others, where we damage ourselves and other people out of fear and, and, and anger. We sometimes prefer to live with pain and conflict just to know that we're alive because we can't sense ourselves alive in, alive in trusting and being trusted. If we live in trust, eternal trusting, we do not live with our own condemnation. We do not perish and get tight and cracked and stiff. We live in an eternal imminence of the presence of God all the time. I think that's something about what John is aiming at. And he uses the light and dark as we know so much in this gospel and how much darkness uh, kind of can control us. But it's small. Darkness is always small. When you see light, if it was dark here to now, if we were here in the middle of the night, we go out, you can't see very much, but you go out on those steps. I know we're not using that door at the moment, but anyway, go out there. You can see for miles down the parade. It just opens everything up. And I think that's part of what John is wanting us to know. Those who are living in the eternal trusting and being trusted are living not under the threat of perishing, cracking, getting hard or being wrong or judgment, but are living in hope and in the joy that the last, the psalm we had this morning spoke of. Okay. Thanks, Pip.